Uh, let's turn to the Word today. And we're continuing our series that we called Follow Me. We had a little break last week with uh, Pastor Ken Russell was here for the ordination of Reverends uh, Riley and Kirsten Berthold. Wasn't that great uh, to celebrate them last week and what God's doing in their life? Well, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been in the middle of something and realized that someone was stuck and needed your help? Now, I know it already seems like forever ago, but you know when we had snow on the ground? You ever had like, to help someone, they were stuck in the snow, you know, maybe they didn't have snow tires and you're the one you know, behind the car pushing them, trying to get them out of the snow? Anyone ever, you, anyone been the person stuck in the snow? You were the person stuck in the snow? Sometimes we get stuck and we need help. Sometimes my kids need a little bit of help with their homework. Now, the problem is uh, grade seven and eight Math, they've already exceeded my skill level in math. The reason, I'll tell you flat out, the reason I'm a pastor is one, because God called me, and second is because I'm not good at math. And so I don't do any math stuff. But, but maybe any crossword puzzlers in the house, you love the crossword puzzle. I love crossword puzzles. I have some old man tendencies, and crossword puzzles is one of them. Uh, but the thing is, I don't like cheating. I don't like help with my crossword puzzle. When I get stuck, not, I don't like to reach. I would rather have the puzzle be undone and unfinished than to ask for help. I feel like that's cheating, right? Some of you, you do like, like communal crossword puzzles, right? You're just like, you know, doing it together. And uh, I think that's cheating. Maybe you've been... <laughs> Maybe you've been in a conversation or you've had a friend or a spouse in a conversation. You could tell from their wide eyes that they were looking to get out of the conversation and they needed you to come and help them pull them away, right? Have you ever had that experience, right? We've all been stuck in situations where we found ourselves needing to get unstuck. We need help. And we had other people uh, who were in need of our help. You know, for many of us in this room, we've had moments like this where we've needed help, and we've wondered if we would even make it. You know, maybe we were stuck in something a little bit, you know, more serious than crossword puzzles. Maybe we found ourselves, you know, emotionally, you know, you know, maybe you found yourself, right? Like I said, you're stuck in something a little bit deeper and more significant than the crossword puzzle or even the snow, but you found yourself stuck emotionally. Uh, maybe it was in uh, financially or situationally. And, uh, you know, some of us, we, we get stuck in this place and we're not quite sure how we're going to get out of it. We need someone to come alongside of us and help us in our time of need. Uh, I remember early on in our ministry, Holly and I, uh, we were youth pastors and we were uh, newly weds and new in our ministry, and, uh, and we had just gotten one of those notes. Have you ever gotten a note, right? How many of you know there's some notes that are, you're like, oh, this is so nice, you know? And then there's some nice notes where you're like, this note says things to me that you would not dare say to my face. Have you ever had a note like that? Could you believe that someone would send me that kind of a note? I just like, I'm just the nicest person ever. I don't know what it is. But they just sent me this note, and the things that they said in it were hurtful and mean and, and unjustified and untrue, or at least in my perception, right? The other person definitely didn't think so, but we were in this place. How many you know when you're sincerely trying your best and you're giving it your all, and then you get that kind of, that kind of criticism? How many you know that cuts deep? 
right? I remember being in this place where Holly and I we were, we were newlyweds and new in ministry, and we, we had this woundedness, and we were, we were in this place where it was just like, it's like the only thing. How many know, like, you can have 10 people say, like, oh, you're amazing, right? And you get one of these, and it's just, that's the thing that is on your heart and on your mind. And we were in this place of discouragement and hurt. And, uh, and in that moment, I remember we had some friends that dropped by. As they dropped by our house, and they began to listen to our, our pain, and they began to listen to what we were experiencing. And, and they brought some comfort, and they brought some perspective. And how many are thankful for those times where it just seems like God would bring someone along your path at just the right moment, right, to help you get unstuck from what you're going through, right? How many have experienced that where you just feel led at times by the Holy Spirit just to show up, and you don't even know why you're there, but it ends up being that God has you at the right place at the right time to help your friends get unstuck. You know, as, as, uh, as carriers, uh, as believers, we're really carriers of God's presence, you know, and, and I, I said that just a few moments ago. You know, when people are calling the church and saying, can you come pray with me? You know, because the shrines and the crystals aren't working. You know, we need the Christians to come, right? It's really they're saying we need the presence of God. We need Jesus Christ and his presence to come in this moment. And that's really what we are bringing. You know, the Bible says that we are trapped in our sin and in our shame. And the Bible says we're actually dead in our trespasses. And, and how many know that our world is like uh, stuck in this, almost like a riptide that's trying to pull them away from the presence of God. Uh, as a youth pastor, I took a trip to uh, El Salvador with some students. And on our uh, day off, we got to go to the beach. And they had these amazing black sand beaches. And it was fun all morning. Uh, the, low, the tide was out and the water was low. And it was just great. I'm here looking forward to some beach days coming up pretty soon. I've already been in the lake, just to say. I've been in the lake uh, for about 30 seconds uh, last week. So <laughs> my daughter wanted to do it, and I was like, I'll do it with you. And it was not fun. It hurt, actually. <laughs> it was cold. But I'm looking forward to the beach. But we were at this black sand beach, and the tide was out. The water was low, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but after lunch, the tide began to come in. And as the tide came in, uh, with it came some undertow. And uh, we were swimming, and not all of us were the best of swimmers. Luckily, we had a lifeguard on our our team and and one of the girls who was not as a strong swimmer began to feel that pull pulling her away from the beach and in that moment she began to panic and kind of flail around a little bit and luckily the lifeguard on her team uh, ran out to her and began to pull her out of the pull uh, of that tide but I just thought that was a great picture because our culture is in a riptide of sorts trying to pull it away uh, from the things and from the presence of God but when you're stuck you need someone to come alongside of you and help pull you out and get you unstuck. Amen? So if you'll turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 it says this. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. We're in week six, so if you don't know yet what the theme is, it's 
follow me. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And so like I said already, we're in this series uh, that we've called Follow Me. And it's been based on these two words uh, of Jesus, often given in the form of an invitation, come and follow me. These are the invitations that we see Jesus. He's given them to the rich and to the poor. He gives this invitation to the religious and the non-religious. He gives it to people with good reputations and bad reputations. Uh, he gives it to the young and old. And it's the invitation he gives you and me today. Come, follow me. But every invitation we've been saying throughout this series comes with a confrontation. And it's the conflict within ourselves whether or not we're going to accept and take him up on that invitation or not. And so we've been digging deeper into the context of these different follow me passages uh, throughout the, uh, the, the New Testament. And we've been looking at the story to see how can we respond uh, to Jesus' invitation in similar ways that the people of the text uh, did. And here's the thing about saying yes to following Jesus. You don't always know from the outset where the road's going to lead or what the journey's going to bring. But this is what Jesus says in John 8, 12. He says, follow me and you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus said, follow me. He said, there's no greater calling, no greater purpose, no greater life than the life that you have when you follow me. Here's the thing about deciding to follow Jesus, though. It's not a one-time decision. It's not like we signed up. Anyone get life insurance? I, I was thinking about this the other day. I like signed up for life insurance. I haven't looked at those documents for like a decade, right? I got, they're somewhere, right? I signed up for it, and then I was like, just set it and forget it, right? Some of those, you get those set it. How many have a gym membership? You set it and forget it. How many of you have, have a gym membership that you pay for monthly, but you haven't been to the gym in over a year? Anyone bold enough to put your hand? I was in that place for about a little while, <laughs> Years ago, and I was just like, you signed up for it, but I didn't follow up on it, right? This following Jesus isn't a set it and forget it thing. Following Jesus is an everyday decision to say, Jesus, today, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, in this moment, I'm going to follow you. So I want to look at this passage today. I want to zoom in and focus on the life of one of Jesus' most influential followers. I want to, now you might think that I'm talking about Peter, but I'm actually talking here about Andrew, his younger brother. Andrew, one of Jesus' most influential followers. Now here's the thing about Andrew. Andrew is a background player in the New Testament text. We don't see him written very much about. He's not talked about. Uh, he's not celebrated or highlighted too much. And yet he's one of the most influential disciples because what we see is that Andrew uh, learned and lived what Jesus had called him to do. He learned and lived this principle that following Jesus means learning to fish. Now, how many of you guys right now are like, see, honey, <laughs> I'm just following Jesus, right? You got to learn how to fish. I mean, love to fish. Did you hear about the pastor who was a terrible fisherman? He was terrible. He was a terrible fisherman. One day he was out fishing, didn't catch anything that whole day. And so on his way home, he stopped at the grocery store and he went to the deli counter and said, I want three of your biggest fish. And so the guy began to wrap them up. He, no, 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 don't wrap them up. He said, I want you to throw them at me one by one. And he, the, the guy looked at him and said, well, why? He goes, well, I can't lie, you know, being a pastor. Then I need to tell my wife that I caught these fish. terrible. There's dad jokes and then there's pastor jokes. I think they're, I'm both a dad and a pastor. Anyways, okay. So here we are, 
We have this incredible interaction between Jesus and these two brothers. Now, Matthew, in this recording, Matthew's like one of those get right to it guys. He's a man of few words. Any man of few words here in the house, right? Like he just like cuts out all the fluff, cuts out all the context, and he just gets right down to it. He says, Jesus calls these two brothers who were fishing. He says, follow me, and they dropped everything and followed him. If you thought that was like, you know, wow, how, like what went into that, you know? As we look at the other gospel writers, uh, on Easter weekend we read from Luke, we saw this passage, and Luke's kind of like, there's a few more details. Any ladies, you're talking to your husband, and you're like, I feel like there's a few more details than what you're giving me right now. Anyone have like a, a boy child, right? And you're like, how was your day? You know, I feel like there's a few more details in your day than what you're giving me right now. And so Luke, he goes into a few more details. He talks about how Jesus is teaching the crowds about the kingdom of God, and as we're walking along the beach, the crowds are growing and they're pressing in on him and so it says that Jesus is feeling a little bit uh, pressed by the crowd and so he comes to Peter and Andrew and he says hey can I get in your boat and push off from shore a little bit to give me a little bit of distance from this crowd I want to teach them about the kingdom of God and as we read on Easter Sunday we we read about how they pushed off and Jesus taught the crowds and then it says that you know on finishing he he tells these these two brothers he says let's go a little deeper let's go a little deeper and 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 put the nets in. And, uh, and as you know, the Aunt Peter and Andrew had just gotten in from a fruitless night of fishing, right? These professional fishermen, you know, they've been stumped for the night and, and uh, they were ready to go home and have some breakfast and, and call it a day. But it says that, you know, they went out and, and Jesus said, put your net on the other side of the boat, which really makes no sense logically, but they do. And they catch this amazing, miraculous harvest of fish. We, we talked about that story. And it's with that backdrop, it's with that miracle, seeing what Jesus had done, what Jesus had produced in an otherwise fruitless and, and, uh, and, and barren situation. In the middle of that, that's where Peter says that he gets down on his knees and says, surely you are the Lord. And then they left all that they had and followed Jesus. So Matthew, he just skipped all that. He just cut to the chase. He's just getting to the point. And, and he talks about Jesus' invitation to follow, but not just an invitation to follow, but he says, follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. How many know following Jesus means learning to fish? A moment ago, I said that yes, saying yes to following Jesus is just not a one-time decision, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's important for us to know in this text that this isn't actually even the, the first time that these brothers have met Jesus. Uh, they've actually encountered Jesus previously. For their first time, we're going to go to a different gospel, to the gospel of John. We're all over the place today, all the gospels. Uh, maybe Mark, I don't think we got Mark in there, but he got, he got highlighted the other week. In John's gospel, we come to their first encounter with Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, the following day, John, meaning John the Baptist, he was again standing with two of his disciples, as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Now Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. 
Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so we look at this passage, and we're seeing Andrew and Peter's very first encounter with Jesus, their introduction to Jesus. And in this, in this story, we see you know, three different players. We see John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, he was like the quintessential like, church kid. He'd grown up in it his whole life. In fact, he was a PK. You know, that stands for pastor's kids if you've been around church for a while. You know, he was, they didn't have, they had, he was a priest kid. He was a priest kid. He grew up in this. And in fact, his brother, his father, Zechariah, had actually been foretold, uh, prophesied to by an angel of, of John's birth. And so John, we see, was uh, one of the most dynamic public speakers of the day. He would be out in the wilderness proclaiming for people to repent and get their hearts ready to receive whatever it was that God was about to do do to prepare themselves for the coming Messiah. And so we see here that, that uh, from a very early age, John had a sense of his calling, of what God was calling him to do, and he was pursuing it uh, with boldness. And, uh, and so we see John. Then we see Simon Peter. You know, Simon Peter, we, we know Peter. He has so many memorable moments in the scriptures, doesn't he? You know, he has, he's known to be this like spark plug of a person. He's a little spontaneous and a little spicy at times, right? He's that little like, you know, like uh, impetulant, you know, a little like unpredictable. You know, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? He was the guy that jumped out of the boat and, uh, and walked on the water and uh, subsequently Clinton was the same guy that sunk, you know, when he was walking on the water. But he was a guy with no filter. He was always talking without thinking. We, we know the story where it says at one point that Jesus actually calls him Satan. They stop talking Satan. You're discouraging me with all of your nonsense talk that you're then so this Peter, he's this dynamic, he's influential, he's raw, and he's real. I think if Peter was alive today, he'd probably have a lot of followers on social media. They'd all be wanting to know what is Peter up to today? What's he saying? What's he doing? Where is he going? He was a prominent follower of Jesus. And then we have Andrew. Like I said, not too much written about him. You know, he's like the kid in your class yearbook that you're looking back on years later and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy, right? He's that guy, you know? He's Peter's younger brother. In fact, as we look at scriptures, most often time, Andrew is described exactly like it was in this text. Andrew Peter's younger brother, right? How many have ever been tied to a sibling? You know, how many had that sibling, you know, was well known in the class and the grade above you, you know, and you were just known as Peter's younger brother, right? I, I can imagine that he was tired of being the little bro sometimes. You know, as, as Peter rose to prominence, I wonder if Andrew ever questioned his own significance, right? As he's seen his brother being used in all these ways, I wonder if Andrew ever thought to himself, man, like, I, I don't have the same profile or platform. I don't have the same fame or influence. I, I don't know. There's not too much written about him. But whenever he is mentioned, he's doing exactly what Jesus called him to do. Follow and fish. He's following and fishing every time we see Andrew in the scriptures. Notice that when Jesus invited Andrew to follow him, he didn't say, follow me, and I'm going to make you more religious. He didn't say, follow me, and I'm going to make you more theologically astute. He didn't say, follow me, and you'll, you'll be more disciplined. And he definitely didn't say, follow me, and I'll make you rich. He didn't say any of that. He said, follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to fish 
for people. Jesus was inviting him. He's saying, follow me and I'm going to teach you to do what I'm doing. Following Jesus is a call into an apprenticeship. It's to do what your master is doing. Follow me and let's fish for people together. So Andrew, he doesn't get the spotlight very much in scripture, but every time this scripture does shine on him, he's doing what Jesus has taught him to do. He's bringing people to Jesus. Now, let's look at this story. The first one we've already read, Andrew has already invited his brother Peter to come to Jesus. You know, as we look at this story and we're thinking, what can we glean? What can we learn from this text? I think the first thing is important is this, is to fish where you are. How many know that when you're fishing, you always think the fishing is going to be better somewhere else, right? We know the grass is greener. How many know like the lake is fishier, you know? And other, wherever you are, the lake is always fishier somewhere else, right? Sometimes we're tempted to think like where I am is a hard place to fish. It would be better to fish somewhere else. But a fisherman knows this, fish where you are. Lots of us find it difficult to bring people to Jesus. You know, through, as I was writing this, I was thinking, you know, we bring people to Jesus or we bring people to church. You know, those aren't two exactly the same things, but, but they're tied together. Sometimes we're bringing them to the person of Jesus. Sometimes we're bringing them to church so that they can learn about Jesus. Those, those things go hand in hand. Uh, I think there's lots of reasons why we find it difficult to invite people to Jesus uh, and to church. So some of the reasons are this. We find it awkward. It's awkward sometimes. We, we don't want to come across pushy or weird. How many know us Christians have a real phobia of being weird, right? We, we don't want to be pushing our faith on others. And sometimes we, we, we don't want them to think that we think our ideas are better than theirs, right? It's hard to talk to people about their belief systems and their value systems, right? We don't want to come across as condescending. And so sometimes it can feel kind of weird to talk uh, about these things. You know, another thing is that we can feel inadequate. I mean, we want to talk to people of Jesus, and we think we should invite people to Jesus, but we fear we won't know what to say. I don't know what to say, and I won't say it right. Right? How many can uh, relate to that? Right? We fear we won't have the answers to their questions or their objections. Right? And so it's, it's real. This is a real talk this morning. How many know that we don't want to be hypocritical? Sometimes we look at our own life and our own imperfections and we think, who am I to invite people to Jesus? I don't even have my own stuff together yet. And, and we feel hypocritical or we look at ourselves and we think, well, I wouldn't want them to look at my life and be that as a reflection of what Jesus can do. I mean, that's a bad testimony, right? Right? When we look at the infomercials, we always see that everything's perfect, right? Uh, but how many know that that's not what we're called to do? We're not, we're not called to be perfect. And if we're brutally honest, the thing that really keeps us from bringing people to Jesus, number one, is fear. We're fear. We're fearful that we're going to lose the friendship. We're fearful that we're going to face rejection. We're fearful that we'll be blacklisted. And, you know, worst of all, we're going to be labeled as religious, right? We're fearful when it comes down to it. The reasons that we don't. That fear is the strongest I find with the people closest to us, right? It's the people closest to us. We care about them the most. We care about their opinion of us. And the opposite is true. They also see us most clearly for who we are. 
behind closed doors. They see us, really, without any of those walls up. They know us. They're close to us. As those people, we often have the hardest time finding the courage to talk to about Jesus. It's strange, isn't it, when you think about it? That the people we love the most and the people we care about the most, we find it the hardest to, to have sometimes this life's most important conversation with. I was challenged this week. This is a quote. It's a few years old, but uh, you might know the, uh, the uh, magician or illusionist uh, Penn Gillette. And uh, Penn from, uh, famous from Penn and Teller, uh, a magician duo. And uh, he's, a, he's a renowned atheist. Uh, but as an atheist, uh, he tells a story once about how a man came to one of his shows and backstage afterwards, the man had a New Testament Bible that he wanted to give to him and uh, he had signed copy. And he talked about how the interaction was so like genuine and pure. This man had just love and good motive from his heart. And they were asking him as an atheist, like, how offended were you that this man was trying to share his belief with you? And this is what Penn says about people who don't share their faith. He says, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. That's from an atheist. Challenging us as Christians about where our values and our perception lies. Now here's the thing. When it comes to money and telling people about Jesus, those are the two conversations where like, oh, you feel a little awkward sometimes. right? We don't want to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty today about this because this is what I've discovered. Guilt is a terrible motivator. I would never ever guilt you into doing something. This is what I decided. Bringing people to Jesus begins with compassion and not compulsion. Bringing people to Jesus begins with compassion and not compulsion. This isn't, I have to do this because I feel guilty. I have to do this because I'm embarrassed. This is about, I get to do this because there's something of value and important. You know, we become so focused on the reasons why we can't or we shouldn't share our faith. And part of overcoming that fear and doubt is that when we believe the benefits outweigh our hesitations. When we believe the actual benefit of doing what I'm about to do outweighs my hesitation, uh, my, my excuse, right? When I actually believe this is something of value that encourages me to step out with faith and courage and confidence, that's way better than guilt. To say, do I actually believe what I say that I believe? And is this actually true? How many know that when you're fishing, it's not about the fishermen, it's about the bait that you're using, right? And so what we're saying here is that it's not about the fishermen. It's about Jesus. Jesus, we're coming to Jesus. Jesus is the one who actually catches people and transforms them and saves them. We're just going, here, fishy, fishy. Like, come here, you know? That's what we're doing. It's not about the fishermen. It's not about you. It's about you saying, hey, come and check out this bait that I have for you. It's the best bait ever. It's Jesus Christ. See, God has placed you in people's lives for a reason. And he's placed people in your life for a reason. 
to love them and show them the hope that you found in Jesus. Now, you might think it'd be easier to talk to a stranger, but here we see Andrew just fishing where he is. The best place to start is where you are. The best place to start is that you might think that, uh, you know, if I invite people to Jesus, if I invite them to church with me, they're never going to come. You might think it's going to be awkward. You might think that they might label me or laugh at me. But here's the thing. You never know what a simple invitation might do. I don't know about you, but people like to buy things when they're ready, not when they're being sold. I, I hate salespeople at stores. <laughs> I mean, I love them, but like Jesus would love them. But like when I'm shopping, I really want to be left alone. I'm kind of like, I just want to be able to browse without having someone beside me, you know, telling me you should get this and try that. And this is the next, I, I kind of like, you know what, I know what I want. And if I need it, something, I'll come and find you. <laughs> and then when I'm at like, you know, hardware store, you can never find anybody. You're just like, well, I need some help, right? But. But here's the thing, if you come knocking at my door trying to sell me something, the answer is no. If you call me on the phone and you're trying to sell me, even if I love it, the answer is no. Because i got to think about it. I don't want to get sucked into any scams. I'm going to think about it. And when I'm ready to buy, then I'm going to, how many of this is like with, with people, right? They don't want to be sold something. You don't need to sell Jesus to people. You just need to come along and say, hey, when you're ready, when you're ready, let me tell you some of this. And if you want to talk more about it. If you're curious about, I, hey, I know someone who knows about this. I should call them and find out more. So Andrew brought someone who was close to him, his brother. But then we also see that he was fishing for the one that came along. Uh, the disciples followed Jesus and the crowds and the, the miracles were, were escalating. The crowds were escalating and more and more people were following Jesus. And one day, Scripture records that there were over 5,000 people who had come to hear Jesus. And after a full day of teaching, uh, in John chapter 6, it says this, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he said, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. How many are like, okay, Jesus, think, cut out the games, okay? Like, just, just tell me what you want from me, right? But Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, but not just Andrew, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, <laughs> always in his shadow, he speaks up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? The story goes on that Jesus performed another miracle and he multiplies the loaves and the bread that day and he feeds the crowd uh, with enough for leftovers to spare. Now, how many think that in that moment, that boy who had come to hear and see this man who had been uh, talked about, who was, you know, the, the buzz of the town, he had come to hear and see this Jesus. How many know that that boy, his life would have been forever changed? right? To bring his lunch, to bring what little he had in his hand, to see Jesus take that and multiply it and use it. How many know that boy would have a little bit of faith and a little bit of courage and a little belief in Jesus differently than he had before? And it was all because Peter, or because Andrew was aware of what was happening around him. And he shoulder tapped this boy and said, hey, come to Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Come and see what Jesus could do in you and through you. Even though he had little in common, this guy, this kid wasn't in Andrew's age bracket, you know? This, this boy wasn't there. Like G, like Andrew had to be there. Jesus probably like disciples. This is like a, an all skate. You need to be with me, you know, today. But the boy, he's there. He's just following the crowd, just trying to see what's happening. And, uh, you know, little in common. Uh, 
Sometimes we look past the people outside of our context, right? We think it's someone else's job to invite them, right? We think it's, the, you know, people of that age group should be inviting people of their own age group, right? People of that demographic should be, you know, which is true. We should be trying to reach the people who look like and act like and, and are like us, but we also can't be afraid that Jesus sometimes is calling us. How do you know that it's often parents that are most influential in their kids' friends' lives, Right? How many know we can wait for our kids to bring their friends to Jesus, which we should encourage? But how many know sometimes there's some parents who are saying, hey, I'm going to make room in the car for your friend on Sunday morning, right? I'm going to make room at the table for your friend uh, to come and eat. But we have to make room for our friend. Uh, it's not always the people in our own context that God's calling us to. Uh, my mother-in-law is here. I'm not going to make you blush. This is a good story. But uh, this is one of my favorite stories. We were on vacation in Florida. Uh, Florida is a different country, different state. It's a whole different world in Florida. If you've been there, you know that. And so they're in Florida. We're on vacation. We're at our friend's church, and they're doing a beach baptism. And so, you know, I'm on vacation, so I'm not pastoring. I've done a lot of baptisms, but today I'm not working. I'm just spectating. And all of a sudden, we're at this beach, and they're doing beach baptism in a different country, in a different state, a different church. And all of a sudden, I see my mother-in-law up to her knees in the water. I'm like, Holly, what is your mom doing in the water? What is she doing? Well, her, my, her mom had been, Wendy had been at the back watching the beach baptism. Now she was up there, she was talking to some girls and talking about, the, about church. And have, you, have you ever been to church? And there was one girl said, oh, I used to go to church. And in that moment, Wendy led this girl back to Jesus at the top of this beach. And now they're down in the water. This girl's getting baptized. And I'm like, oh, we don't even go to this church. What is your mom doing in the baptism? And she's leading people to Jesus because that's what happens when you're looking for for the opportunities that God puts across your path. It's not just about reaching the people like you. It's about looking outside your context and saying, who would Jesus put in my path? Now, you know what I love about this story? Is that Andrew doesn't bring the boy with a whole lot of faith, right? He's kind of like, oh, Jesus, I don't know what you can do with this kid and what he's bringing, but you're like, it's going to take a miracle, right, for something to happen. But uh, here he is, right? Hey, kid, meet Jesus, right? <laughs> How many know sometimes we don't see what God wants to do in someone's life until after they meet Jesus, right? And then we get the privilege of standing back and going, wow, it was a miracle what God has done in you and through you. I don't want to let fear or doubt limit what God can do in the people around me. Uh, you know, I don't want to let fear or doubt limit what God can do in me and through me. I want to courageously say, Jesus, whatever you're calling me to do, I'm willing to do it. Andrew brought someone close to him. Uh, he brought someone outside of his context. Really, Andrew was just fishing for everyone. Everyone who would come along, Andrew was like, yeah, okay, whoever they are, let's bring them to Jesus. John 12, 20, this is the last uh, passage we'll read together. John 12, 20 says, some Greeks had come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and he said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. And we'd be like, I wish people would just tell me they want to meet Jesus, right? Philip said to Andrew, uh, they talked about it. And uh, they went to, uh, together to ask Jesus. I don't know what Philip thought. Like, hey, Andrew, these Greek guys are here. They're not religious. 
They're not the kind of people that we're usually used to talking to. They say they want to meet Jesus. What do you think we should do, <laughs> right? I mean, what is there to talk about? Andrew's like, yeah, I think Jesus would want to meet them. But of course, let's go ask him uh, anyways. And so they go to Jesus, and Jesus goes on this whole long tirade uh, about how, you know, that, you know, he's come to give his whole life. He's come to this earth to die on the cross for everyone who would believe in him. And John 12, 26, it says, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. The Father will honor anyone who serves me. And then he says this, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. So Andrew, he was willing to fish where he was. He was watching to see that whoever would come along. He just looked at everyone with that same lens. I think that Jesus would want everyone to come to him. What can I do to bring them to Jesus? You know, it can be discouraging when we look at our world and we see how ignorant and indifferent we are towards the things of God. Right? We can look at our community and we can see how uninterested people are in spiritual conversations or the state of their soul. And it can be disheartening. Sometimes we look at our own families and we look at our brothers or sisters, we look at our children and grandchildren and it's like they're lost and they're stuck. Like I said, that riptide that's trying to pull them away from the things of God and they're, they're stuck in this cultural riptide that's pulling them further and further from God and we can feel small and insignificant at times. You know, what can we really do to impact the world? On one hand, it can seem like the odds are overwhelming or insurmountable. Uh, but this is what I love about this passage we read because when Andrew brought these loaves and fishes, they just brought whatever they could find. This is all we have. Like we looked in the whole crowd, 5,000 people, and this is all we got. And it says that he brings them to Jesus. And the feeding of the crowd seemed impossible, and yet Jesus had a different perspective. Instead of seeing difficulty, he saw opportunity. How do we know if there's a whole lot of people that aren't following Jesus? That means that this should be pretty easy to find someone to talk to about Jesus, right? Last summer, we were out on the boat, and uh, my friend Mark and I we were on the boat, and, uh, and he was catching fish like crazy. He's an avid fisherman. He was just like, like the first cast, bang, he caught a bass. We were kind of circling around Lake Skaha. You know there's bass in Lake Skaha? They bang, bang, bang. Every time he cast his net, he was catching these bass. 25 he caught, you know, in about 45 minutes. I'm like, this is amazing. You're the best fisherman ever. You're way better than I am. He caught way more fish than I did. You know why? Because he had his rod and mine was at home in the garage. Every time he threw it in, he was catching something, and I was watching him, and I was just like, I'm not even fishing, right? How do I know you can't catch something if you're not fishing? But the more you fish, the more likely you are to get some nibbles, to get some bites, to land the big one. The fish are there. It's just a matter of saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to fish. Going to fish. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But here's what I want you to know. Devoted followers of Jesus. Andrew and Peter, they knew Jesus. Remember? They'd already met Jesus. They knew his teachings. They knew who he was. They believed he was the Messiah. They already had an, a relationship with Jesus prior to Jesus coming along and saying, now I want you to follow me. Like, you know who I am. You believe in me. Now follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. Following Jesus. When we're fully devoted followers of Jesus, don't just pick and choose what it is that they want to follow. Okay, Jesus, I'll follow this part, but not that part. 
right? It says that they have laid down their own preferences in order to pursue God's purposes. Being a follower of Jesus isn't just about a checklist where we go, hey, yeah, yeah, 10 commandments, I'm good. Didn't murder anyone, didn't commit adultery today, I'm good, right? It's not just say, hey, I'm associated with another worthy cause, woo, go Jesus, right? It's about proclaiming God's kingdom here on earth. And not just proclaiming God's kingdom, but we're inviting people to say, come, come and meet this benevolent king. Come and meet this one who's changed and transformed my life. Come and meet this one. I'm not trying to sell you on something. I'm just giving the, like, the testimonial. Like, come and experience for yourself. Come and find out if it's true what I'm talking about. Our loving king of kings. You know, I'm really excited because I've been seeing this happen in our congregation. Yeah, there's a part where we're all like, yeah, I need, I need to do this more. Some of you are here today and you're like, yeah, you know what? I do need to make this a part of my life. But I don't want you to do it out of guilt or shame. I want you to do it out of like, hey, this is awesome that I get to be a part of something. Listen to where God has been lifted up and people in our city have been talked to about Jesus. This is just from uh, some testimonies I've heard. Uh, at the food truck. I was at the food truck and I met this woman and I invited her to Alpha because she was talking to me about Jesus. This, this is the owner of the food truck said that people are coming to the food truck with a hunger to know more about Jesus. Uh, one of the moms, I was at a dance competition and I was talking to the moms about Jesus. Uh, I was invited to my neighbor's apartment and I was talking to people uh, about Jesus. Uh, one of the guys in our, course, in our church was leading a CPR course and he invited someone to church and they came to church and they came to Alpha because he was willing to talk to them about Jesus. It's not just about what happens here in this moment. It's about all of us going out wherever God would take us this week and saying, hey Jesus, let's go fishing together. You know, who's coming along that you would want me to talk to today? You know why my life has changed and transformed? Because a man who owned a business talked to my dad. I told you that story a while ago. A man owned a business and he would talk to my dad and being a role model to my dad of, of kindness and compassion. He was a good boss. And one night that man uh, invited my dad to a Christmas Eve service. It forever changed my family. My in-laws are here. Their lives are changed because they had a neighbor who lived in the apartment above them in their basement suite. And she would talk to them, invite them for coffee, talk to them about Jesus, invited them to a woman's ministries meeting and forever changed. Our families forever changed because of people talking and inviting people to Jesus. Whose family will be here 30 years from now changed because you had a conversation. Maybe you're not the one who caught the fish and cleaned it as it was, right? But maybe you just brought them to Jesus and their family tree will be forever changed. Amen. Will you stand with me today? I think God wants us to go fishing after church. All week, you have permission. You know, you know, tell your boss, tell your spouse, pastor told me I need to go fishing this week. But this is about saying, Jesus, would you just help me be aware? Help me be courageous. Some of us are so afraid to talk about Jesus. You don't have to convince anyone. You're not, you're not the salesman. You're just the testimonial. Come and look how my life's been transformed. When you're ready to talk more about it, you'll know where to go. The guy that called the church this week, I, I'm, I'm, I need prayer. I don't know where to go. I've tried everything else. Let's call the Christians, right? Uh, it's the worst we can do. <laughs> call them, last resort. How <laughs> do you know it would be amazing for us to have family and friends calling us as a last resort? Hey, we, we need some change. We need some transformation. Jesus, I pray for my friends today. 
I pray all across this room that you would give us courage and boldness and eyes to see what it is you're doing in our region. Lord God, I pray you would give us the courage to invite people to you by simply sharing with them what you've done in our hearts and lives. God, by being willing to take that first step to risk the friendship because we think that the end result is so worth it. I pray that we'd be surprised more and more and more about how easy it is. And the easier we, the more we do it, the easier it becomes. And, and the more we do it, the more we find people who are willing to listen. God, we know that we're trying to turn a tide that seems so much stronger and more uh, influential than we could ever hope to be. And yet we stand here 2,000 years after you gave your life on that cross. And we are a movement of people. And we are a movement of people who are perpetuated by the witness and the testimony and the invitation of those who've gone before us. Lord, you said that you were going to return to the Father, but you are going to send your Holy Spirit who would empower us to do the work and the ministry that you've started for us to do. We don't do this in our own power. We do it in partnership with you. God, you've already gone before us. You've already prepared some people's hearts. You've already stirred the soil in some people's hearts, and now they're ready to receive the seed. I pray this week that you would help us to have our eyes open and looking around, ready to see where it is that you'd want us to plant that seed, we pray. God, we pray for our children, our grandchildren. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, our, our parents, the people closest to us. God, we pray, Lord, that you would help use us and put other people in their lives, too, uh, who can speak your life and love over them, we pray. Jesus, we pray that this church would be busting at its seams. Just like those nets Peter and Andrew tried to haul in, a miraculous catch of people coming to you. I pray that the church in Penticton, all of us together, would not be big enough to hold the harvest of people coming to you, we pray. Give us bigger vision, we pray. In Jesus' name.